Now Parsalion was paying attention to him. Now all the mages in the semicircle were paying attention to him. Every head turned in his direction. Taz had talked to spirits in darkened wood. He had spoken at the Council of White Stone. But for a moment, he was awed at this silent, solemn audience, especially when it occurred to him what he had to say. Please, Tasselhoff Burfoot, Parsalion spoke with great courtesy. Tell us what you know. The mage smiled. Then perhaps we can bring this meeting to a close, and you can have your dinner. Taz blushed, wondering if Parsalion could perhaps see through his head and read his thoughts printed on his brain, like he reads words printed on a sheet of parchment. Oh, yes, dinner would be great. But now, um, about Lady Crisania. Taz paused to collect his thoughts, then launched into his tale. Well, I'm not certain about this, mind you. I just know from what little I was able to pick up here and there. To begin at the beginning, I met Lady Crisania when I was in Palanthus visiting my friend Tannis Half-Elven. You know him, and Lorana, the Golden General. I fought with them in the War of the Lance. I helped save Lorana from the Queen of Darkness. The Kinder spoke with pride. Have you ever heard that story? I was in the temple at Naraka. Parsalian's eyebrows raised ever so slightly, and Toss stuttered. Uh, w- well, I'll tell that later. Anyway, I met Lady Crisania at Tanis's home, and I heard their plans to travel to Solus to see Caramon. As it happened, I, I sort of, well, found a letter Lady Crisania had written to Elliston. I think it must have fallen out of her pocket. The Kendra paused for breath. Parsalian's lips twitched, but he refrained from smiling. I read it. Taz continued, now enjoying the attention of his audience, just to see if it was important. After all, she might have thrown it away. In the letter, she said she was more, um, how did it go? Firmly convinced than ever, after my talk with Tennis, that there was good in Raceland and that he could turn from his evil path. I must convince the mages of this. Anyhow, I saw that the letter was important, so I took it to her. She was very grateful to get it back, Toss said solemnly. She hadn't realized she'd lost it. Parsalian put his fingers on his lips to control them. I said I could tell her lots of stories about Raceland, if she wanted to hear them. She said she'd like that a lot, so I told her all the stories I could think of. She was particularly interested in the ones I told her about Bupu. If only I could find the gully dwarf, she said to me one night. I'm certain I could convince Parsalian that there is hope that he may be reclaimed. At this, one of the black robes snorted loudly. Parsalian glanced sharply in that direction. The wizards hushed. But Tass saw many of them, particularly in black robes, fold their arms across their chests in anger. He could see their eyes glittering from the shadows of their hoods. Uh, I'm sh- sure I didn't mean to offend, Tass stuttered. I know I always thought Raceland looked much better in black, with that golden skin of his and all. I certainly don't believe anyone has to be good, of course. Fizbon, he's really paladin. We're great personal friends, paladin and I. Anyway, Fizbon said that there had to be a balance in the world, that we were fighting to restore the balance. So that means that there has to be black robes as well as white, doesn't it? We know what you mean, Kinderkin, Parsalian said gently. Our brethren take no offense at your words. Their anger is directed elsewhere. Not everyone in the world is as wise as the great Fizbon the Fabulous. 
Ta sighed. Ah, I miss him sometimes. But where was I? Oh yes, Bupu. That's when I had my idea. Maybe if Bupu told her story, the mages would believe her. I said to Lady Crisania. She agreed, and I offered to go and find Bupu. I hadn't been to Zaxaroth since Goldmoon killed the Black Dragon, and it was just a short hop from where we were. And Tanis said it would be fine with him. He seemed quite pleased to see me off. Actually, the High Pulp let me take Bupu after a, a small bit of discussion and some interesting items that I had in my pouch. I took Bupu to Salas, but Tanis had already gone, and so had Lady Crisania. Caramon was. Taz stopped, hearing Caramon clear his throat behind him. Caramon was, wasn't feeling too good, but Tika, that's Caramon's wife and a great friend of mine. Anyway, Tika said we had to go after Lady Crisania because the forest of Wayrath was a terrible place. And no offense meant, I'm certain, but did you ever stop to think that your forest is really nasty? I mean, it is not friendly. Taz glared at the mage sternly, and I don't know why you let it wander around loose. I think it's irresponsible. Parsalian's shoulders quivered. Well, that's all I know, Tass said. And there's Bupu, and she can. Tass stopped, looking around. Where'd she go? Here, Caramon said grimly, dragging the gully dwarf out from behind his back, where she had been cowering in abject terror. Seeing the mage staring at her, the gully dwarf gave a shriek and collapsed onto the floor, a quivering bundle of ragged clothes. I think you had better tell us her story," Parsalian said to Tass. "If you can, that is." "Yes," Tass replied, suddenly subdued. "I know what it was, Lady Crisania wanted me to tell you. It happened back during the war, when we were in Zaxaroth. The only ones who knew anything about that city were gully dwarves, but most wouldn't help us. Raceland cast a charm spell on one of them, Bupu. Charmed wasn't exactly the word for what it did to her. She fell in love with him." Tass paused, sighing, then continued in a remorseful tone. Some of us thought it was funny, I guess, but Raceland didn't. He was really kind to her, and he even saved her life once when Draconians attacked us. Well, after we left Zaxaroth, Bupu came with us. She couldn't bear to leave Raceland. Tass's voice dropped. One night I woke up. I heard Bupu crying. I started to go to her, but I saw Raceland had heard her too. She was homesick. She wanted to go back to her people, but she couldn't leave him. I don't know what he said, but I saw him lay his hand on her head, and it seemed that I could see a light shining all around Bupu. And then he sent her home. She had to travel through a land filled with terrible creatures, but somehow I knew she would be safe, and she was. Tass finished solemnly. There was a moment's silence. Then it seemed that all the mages began to talk at once. Those of the black robes shook their heads. Dalimar sneered. The Kinder was dreaming, he said scornfully. Who believes Kinder anyway? Said one. Those of the red robes and the white robes appeared thoughtful and perplexed. If this is true, said one, perhaps we have misjudged him. Perhaps we should take this chance, however slim. Finally, Parsalian raised a hand for silence. I admit I find this difficult to believe. He said at last, "I mean no disparagement to you, Tasselhoff Burfoot." He added gently, smiling at the indignant Kinder. "But all know your race has the most lamentable tendency to、uh, exaggerate. It is obvious to me that Raceland simply charmed this this creature." 
Varsalian spoke with disgust. To use her and... Me no creature! Bupu lifted her tear-stained, mud-streaked face from the floor. Her hair frizzed up like an angry cat's. Glaring at Parsalian, she stood up and started forward, tripping over the bag she carried and sprawled flat on the floor. Undaunted, the gully dwarf picked herself up and faced Parsalian. Me know nothing about big, powerful wizards, Bupu waved a grubby hand. Me know nothing about no charm spell. Me know magic is in this. She scrabbled around in the bag, then threw forth the dead rat and waved it in Parsalian's direction. And me know that man you talk about here is nice man. Him nice to me. Clutching the dead rat to her chest, Bupu stared tearfully at Parsalian. The others, the big man, the kinder, they laugh at Bupu. They look at me like me some sort of bug. Bupu rubbed her eyes. There was a lump in Taz's throat, and he felt lower than a bug himself. Bupu continued, speaking softly. Me know how me look. Her filthy hands tried in vain to smooth her dress, leaving streaks of dirt down it. Me know me not pretty, like lady lying there. The gully dwarf snuffled. But then she wiped her hand across her nose, and, raising her head, looked at Parsalian defiantly. But him not call me creature. Him call me little one. Little one, she repeated. For a moment she was quiet, remembering. Then she heaved a gusty sigh. I, I want to stay with him, but him tell me no. Him say he must walk roads that be dark. Him tell me he want me to be safe. Him lay his hand on my head. Bupu bowed her head, as if in memory, and I feel warm inside. Then him tell me, farewell, Bupu. He call me little one. Looking up, Bupu glanced around at the semicircle. He never laugh at me, she said, choking. Never. She began to cry. The only sounds in the room, for a moment, were the gully dwarf's sobs. Karaman put his hands over his face, overcome. Taz drew a shuddering breath and fished around for a handkerchief. After a few moments, Parsalian rose from his stone chair and came to stand in front of the gully dwarf who was regarding him with suspicion and hiccuping at the same time. The great mage extended his hand. Forgive me, Bupu, he said gravely. If I offended you, I must confess that I spoke those cruel words on purpose, hoping to make you angry enough to tell your story. For only then could we be certain of the truth. Parsalian laid his hand on Bupu's head. His face was drawn and tired, but he appeared exultant. Maybe we did not fail. Maybe he did learn some compassion, he murmured. Gently he stroked the gully dwarf's rough hair. No, Raceland would never laugh at you, little one. He knew. He remembered. There were too many who had laughed at him. Taz couldn't see through his tears, and he heard Karaman weeping quietly beside him. The kinder blew his nose on his handkerchief, then went up to retrieve Bupu, it was blubbering into the hem of Parsalian's white robe. So, this is the reason Lady Chrysania made this journey? Parsalian asked Taz as the kinder came near. The mage glanced at the still, white, cold form lying beneath the linen, her eyes staring sightlessly into the shadowy darkness. She believes that she can rekindle the spark of goodness that we tried to light and failed. Yes, Taz answered, 
suddenly uncomfortable beneath the gaze of the mage's penetrating blue eyes. And why does she want to attempt this? Parsalian persisted. Taz dragged Bupu to her feet and handed her his handkerchief, trying to ignore the fact that she stared at it in wonder, obviously having no idea what she was supposed to do with it. She blew her nose on the hem of her dress. Uh, well, Tika said. Taz stopped, flushing. What did Tika say? Parsalian asked softly. Tika said... Taz swallowed. Tika said she was doing it because she loved him. Raceland. Parsalian nodded. His gaze went to Karaman. What about you, twin? He asked suddenly. Karaman's head lifted. He stared at Parsalian with haunted eyes. Do you still love him? You have said you would go back to destroy Fist and Dantilus. The danger you face will be great. Do you love your brother enough to undertake this perilous journey? To risk your life for him, as this lady has done? Remember, before you answer, you do not go back on a quest to save the world. You go back on a quest to save a soul. Nothing more, nothing less. Karaman's lips moved, but no sound came from them. His face was lighted by joy, however, a happiness that sprang from deep within him. He could only nod his head. Parsalian turned to face the assembled conclave. I have made my decision, he began. One of the black robes rose and cast her hood back. Toss saw that this was the woman who had brought him here. Anger burned in her eyes. She made a swift, slashing motion with her hands. We challenge this decision, Parsalian, she said in a low voice, and you know this means you cannot cast the spell. The master of the tower may cast the spell alone, Ladonna, Parsalian replied grimly. That power is given to all the masters. Thus did Raceland discover the secret when he became master of the tower in Palanthus. I do not need the help of either red or black. There was a murmur from the red robes as well many looking at the black robes and nodding in agreement with them. LaDonna smiled. Indeed, great one, she said. I know this. You do not need us for the casting of the spell, but you need us nevertheless. You need our cooperation, Parsalian, our silent cooperation, else the shadows of our magic will rise and blot out the light of the silver moon, and you will fail. Parsalian's face grew cold and gray. What of the life of this woman? he demanded, gesturing at Chrysania. What is the life of a cleric of Paladin to us? LaDonna sneered. Our concerns are far greater, and not to be discussed among outsiders. Send these away, she motioned at Caramon, and we will meet privately. I believe that is wise, Parsalian, said the red-robed mage mildly. Our guests are tired and hungry, and they will find our family disagreements most boring. Very well, Barsalian said abruptly. But Tas could see the white-robed mage's anger as he turned to face them. You will be summoned. Wait, Kermont shouted. I demand to be present. I... The big man stopped, nearly strangling himself. The hall was gone. The mages were gone. The stone chairs were gone. Kermont was yelling at a hat stand. Dizzily, Tas looked around. He and Karaman and Bupu were in a cozy room that might have come straight from the inn of the last home. A fire burned in the grate. Comfortable beds stood at one end. A table laden with food was near the fire. 
The smells of fresh-baked bread and roasted meat made his mouth water. Toss sighed in delight. I think this is the most wonderful place in the whole world, he said. Chapter 14 The old white-robed mage sat in a study that was much like Raceland's in the Tower of Palanthus, except that the books which lined Parsalian shelves were bound in white leather. The silver runes traced upon their spines and covers glinted in the light of a crackling fire. To anyone entering, the room seemed hot and stuffy, but Parsalian was feeling the chill of age enter his bones. To him, the room was quite comfortable. He sat at his desk, his eyes staring into the flames. He started slightly at a soft knock upon his door. Then, sighing, he called softly, Enter. A young white-robed mage opened the door, bowing at the black-robed mage who walked past him, as was proper to one of her standing. She accepted the homage without comment. Casting her hood aside, she swept past him into Parsalian's chamber and stopped, just inside the doorway. The white-robed mage gently shut the door behind her, leaving the two heads of their orders alone together. Ladana cast a quick, penetrating gaze about the room. Much of it was lost in shadow, the fire casting the only light. Even the drapes had been closed, blotting out the moon's eerie glow. Raising her hand, LaDonna murmured a few soft words. Several items in the room began to gleam, with a weird, reddish light, indicating that they had magical properties. A staff leaning up against the wall. A crystal prism on Parsalian's desk. A branched candelabra. A gigantic hourglass. And several rings on the old man's fingers, among others. These did not seem to alarm LaDonna. She simply looked at each and nodded. Then, satisfied, she sat down in a chair near the desk. Parsalian watched her with a slight smile on his lined face. There are no creatures from beyond lurking in the corners, LaDonna, I assure you, the old maid said dryly. Had I wanted to banish you from this plane, I could have done so long ago, my dear. When we were young? LaDonna cast aside her hood. Iron-gray hair, woven into an intricate braid, coiled about her head, framed a face whose beauty seemed enhanced by the lines of age that appeared to have been drawn by a masterful artist. So well did they highlight her intelligence and dark wisdom. That would have been a contest indeed, great one. Drop the title, LaDonna, Parsalian said. We have known each other too long for that. Known each other long and well, Parsalian, LaDonna said with a smile. Quite well, she murmured softly, her eyes going to the fire. Would you go back to our youth, LaDonna? Parsalian asked. She did not answer for a moment. Then she looked up at him and shrugged. To trade power and wisdom and skill for what? Hot blood? Not likely, my dear. What about you? I would have answered the same twenty years ago, Parsalian said, rubbing his temples. But now, I wonder... I did not come to relive old times, no matter how pleasant, LaDonna said, clearing her throat, her voice suddenly stern and cold. I have come to oppose this madness. She leaned forward, her dark eyes flashing. You are not serious, I hope, Parsalian. Even you cannot be soft-hearted or soft-headed enough to send that stupid human back in time to try and stop Fistandantilus. Think of the danger. 
He could change history. We could all cease to exist. Bah, Ladonna, you think? Farsalian snapped. Time is a great flowing river, vaster and wider than any river we know. Throw a pebble into the rushing water. Does the water suddenly stop? Does it begin to flow backward? Does it turn in its course and flow another direction? Of course not. The pebble creates a few ripples on the surface, perhaps, but then it sinks. The river flows onward, as it has ever done. What are you saying? Ladana asked, regarding Parsalian warily. But Caramon and Crisania are pebbles, my dear. They will no more affect the flow of time than two rocks thrown into the Thonsalarian would affect its course. They are pebbles, he repeated. We underestimate Raceland, Dalimar says. Ladana interrupted. He must be fairly certain of his success, or he would not take this risk. He is no fool, Parsalian. He is certain of acquiring the magic, and that we cannot stop him. But that magic will be meaningless to him without the cleric. He needs Crisania. The white-robed mage sighed. And that is why we must send her back in time. I fail to see. She must die, Ladana. Parsalian snarled. Must I conjure a vision for you? She must be sent back to a time when all clerics passed from this land. Raceland said that we would have to send her back. We would have no choice, as he himself said. This is the one way we can thwart his plans. It is his greatest hope, and his greatest fear. He needs to take her with him to the gate, but he needs her to come willingly. Thus he plans to shake her faith, disillusion her enough so that she will work with him. Farsalian waved his hand irritably. We are wasting time. He leaves in the morning. We must act at once. Then keep her here, Ladana said scornfully. That seems simple enough. Farsalian shook his head. He would simply return for her, and by then he will have the magic. He will have the power to do what he chooses. Kill her. That has been tried and failed. Besides, could even you, with your arts, kill her while she is under Paladin's protection? Perhaps the gods will prevent her going then. No, the augury I cast was neutral. Paladin has left the matter in our hands. Crisania is nothing but a vegetable here, nor will ever be anything more, since none alive today have the power to restore her. Perhaps Paladin intends her to die in a place and time where her death will have meaning, so that she may fulfill her life cycle. So you will send her to her death, Ladana murmured, looking at Parsalian in amazement. Your white robes will be stained red with blood, my old friend. Parsalian slammed his hands upon the table. His face contorted in agony. I don't enjoy this, damn it! But what can I do? Can't you see the position I'm in? Who sits now as the head of the black robes? I do, Ladana replied. Who sits as the head if he returns victorious? Ladana frowned and did not answer. Precisely. My days are numbered, Ladana. I know that. No,、oh, he gestured. My powers are still great. Perhaps they have never been greater, but every morning when I awake, I feel the fear. Will today be the day it fails? Every time I have trouble recalling a spell, I shiver. Some day I know I will not be able to remember the correct words. He closed his eyes. I am tired, Ladana, very tired. 
I want to do nothing more than stay in this room, near this warm fire, and record in these books the knowledge I have acquired through the years. Yet I dare not step down now, for I know who would take my place. The old mage sighed. I will choose my successor, Ladana, he said softly. I will not have my position wrested from my hands. My stake in this is greater than any of yours. Perhaps not, Ladana said, staring at the flames. If he returns victorious, there will no longer be a conclave. We shall all be his servants. Her hand clenched. I still oppose this, Parsalian. The danger is too great. Let her remain here. Let Raceland learn what he can from Fistandantilus. We can deal with him when he returns. He is powerful, of course, but it will take him years to master the arts that Fistandantilus knew when he died. We can use that time to arm ourselves against him. We can... There was rustling in the shadows of the room. Ladana started and turned, her hand darting immediately to a hidden pocket in her robe. Hold, Ladana, said a mild voice. You need not waste your energies on a shield spell. I am no creature from beyond, as Parsalian has already stated. The figure stepped into the light of the fire, its red robes gleaming softly. Ladana settled back with a sigh, but there was a glint of anger in her eyes that would have made an apprentice start back in alarm. No, Justarius, she said coolly, you are no creature from beyond. So, you managed to hide yourself from me? How clever you have become, Red Robe. Twisting around in her chair, she regarded Parsalian with scorn. You are getting old, my friend, if you required help to deal with me. Oh, I'm sure Parsalian is just as surprised to see me here as you are, Ladonna, Justarius stated. Wrapping his red robes around him, he walked slowly forward to sit down in another chair before Parsalian's desk. He limped as he walked, his left foot dragging the ground. Raislin was not the only mage ever injured in the test. Justarius smiled. Though the Great One has become quite adept at hiding his feelings, he added. I was aware of you, Parsalian said softly. You know me better than that, my friend. Justarius shrugged. It doesn't really matter. I was interested in hearing what you had to say to Ladana. I would have said the same to you. Probably less, for I would not have argued as she has. I agree with you. I have from the beginning. But that is because we know the truth, you and I. What truth? Ladana repeated. Her gaze went from Gesterius to Parsalian, her eyes dilating with anger. You will have to show her, Gesterius said still in the same mild voice. She will not be convinced otherwise. Prove to her how great the danger is. You will show me nothing, Ladonna said, her voice shaking. I would believe nothing you two devised. Then let her do it herself, Justeria suggested, shrugging. Parsalian frowned. Then, scowling, he shoved the crystal prism upon the desk toward her. He pointed. The staff in the corner belonged to Fistandantilus, the greatest, most powerful wizard who has ever lived. Cast a spell of seeing, Ladana. Look at the staff. Ladana touched the prism hesitantly, her glance moving suspiciously once more from Parsalian to Justerius, then back. Go ahead, Parsalian snapped. I have not tampered with it. His gray eyebrows came together. You know I cannot lie to you, Ladana. Though you may lie to others, Justeria said softly. 
Parsalian cast the red-robed mage an angry look, but did not reply. Ladana picked up the crystal with sudden resolution. Holding it in her hand, she raised it to her eyes, chanting words that sounded harsh and sharp. A rainbow of light beamed from the prism to the plain wooden staff that leaned up against the wall in a dark corner of the study. The rainbow expanded as it welled out from the crystal to encompass the entire staff. Then it wavered and coalesced, forming into the shimmering image of the owner of the staff. Ladonna stared at the image for long moments, then slowly lowered the prism from her eyes. The moment she withdrew her concentration from it, the image vanished. The rainbow light winked out. Her face was pale. Well, Ladonna, Parsalian asked quietly after a moment, do we go ahead? Let me see the time travel spell, she said, her voice taut. Parsalian made an impatient gesture. You know that is not possible, Ladonna. Only the masters of the tower may know this spell. I am within my rights to see the description, at least, LaDonna returned coldly. Hide the components and the words from my sight, if you will, but I demand to see the expected results. Her expression hardened. Forgive me if I do not trust you, old friend, as I might once have done, but your robes seem to be turning as gray as your hair. Jesteria smiled, as if this amused him. Farsalian sat for a moment, irresolute. Tomorrow morning, friend, Jesterius murmured. Angrily, Parsalian rose to his feet. Reaching beneath his robes, he drew forth a silver key that he wore around his neck on a silver chain, the key that only the master of a tower of high sorcery may use. Once there were five, now only two remained. As Parsalian took the key from around his neck and inserted it into an ornately carved wooden chest standing near his desk, all three mages, present were wondering silently if Raceland was, even now, doing the same thing with the key he possessed, perhaps even drawing out the same spellbook, bound in silver, perhaps even turning slowly and reverently through the same pages, casting his gaze upon the spells known only to the masters of the towers. Parsalian opened the book, first muttering the prescribed words that only the masters know. If he had not, the book would have vanished from beneath his hand. Arriving at the correct page, he lifted the prism from where LaDonna had set it, then held it above the page, repeating the same harsh, sharp words LaDonna had used. The rainbow light streamed down from the prism, brightening the page. At a command from Parsalian, the light from the prison beamed out to strike a bare wall opposite them. Look, Parsalian said, his anger still apparent in his voice. There upon the wall, read the description of the spell. Ladonna and Jesterius turned to face the wall where they could read the words as the prism presented them. Neither Ladonna nor Jesterius could read the components needed or the words required. Those appeared as gibberish, either through Parsalian's art or the conditions imposed by the spell itself. But the description of the spell was clear. The ability to travel back in time is available to elves, humans, and ogres, since these were the races created by the gods at the beginning of time and so travel within its flow. The spell may not be used by dwarves, gnomes, or kinder, since the creation of these races was an accident, unforeseen by the gods. Refer to the Grey Stone of Gargarth. See Appendix G. 
the introduction of any of these races into a previous time span could have serious repercussions on the present, although what these might be is unknown. A note in Parsalian's wavering handwriting had the word draconian inked in among the forbidden races. There are dangers, however, that the spellcaster needs to be fully aware of before proceeding. If the spellcaster dies while back in time, this will affect nothing in the future, for it will be as if the spellcaster died this day in the present. His other death will affect neither the past nor the present nor the future, except as it would have normally affected those. Therefore, we do not waste power on any type of protection spell. The spellcaster will not be able to change or affect what has occurred previously in any way. That is an obvious precaution. Thus, this spell is really useful only for study. That was the purpose for which it was designed. Another note, this time in a handwriting much older than Parsalian's, adds on the margin. It is not possible to prevent the cataclysm, so we have learned to our great sorrow and at a great cost. May his soul rest with Paladin. So that's what happened to him, Justerius said with a low whistle of surprise. That was a well-kept secret. They were fools to even try it, Parsalian said, but they were desperate. As are we, LaDonna added bitterly. Well, is there more? Yes, the next page, Parsalian replied. If the spellcaster is not going himself, but is sending back another, please note racial precaution on previous page, he or she should equip the one traveling with a device that can be activated at will and so return the traveler to his own time. Descriptions of such devices and their making will be found following and so forth, Parsalian said. The rainbow light disappeared, swallowed in the mage's hand as Parsalian wrapped his fingers around it. The rest is devoted to the technical details of making such a device. I have an ancient one. I will give it to Karaman. His emphasis on the man's name was unconscious, but everyone in the room noticed it. LaDonna smiled wryly, her hands softly caressing her black robes. Justerius shook his head. Parsalian himself, realizing the implications, sank down in his chair, his face lined with sorrow. So Caramon will use it alone, Justerius said. I understand why we send Chrysania, Parsalian. She must go back, never to return. But Caramon? Caramon is my redemption. Parsalian said without looking up. The old mage stared at his hands that lay trembling on the open spellbook. He is going on a journey to save a soul, as I told him. But it will not be his brother's. Parsalian looked up, his eyes filled with pain. His gaze went first to Justerius, then to Ladonna. Both met that gaze with complete understanding. The truth could destroy him, Justerius said. There is very little left to destroy, if you ask me, LaDonna remarked coldly. She rose to her feet. Justerius rose with her, staggering a little until he obtained his balance on his crippled leg. As long as you get rid of the woman, I care little what you do about the man, Barsalian. If you believe it will wash the blood from your robes, then help him by all means. She smiled grimly. In a way, I find this quite funny. Maybe, as we get older... We aren't so different after all, are we, my dear? The differences are there, LaDonna, Parsalian said, smiling wearily. 
It is the crisp, clear outlines that begin to fade and blur in our sight. Does this mean the black robes will go along with my decision? It seems we have no choice, Ladana said without emotion. If you fail, enjoy my downfall, Barsalian said wryly. I will, the woman answered softly. The more so, as it will probably be the last thing I enjoy in this life. Farewell, Parsalian. Farewell, Ladana, he said. A wise woman, Justerius remarked as the door shut behind her. A rival worthy of you, my friend, Parsalian returned to his seat behind the desk. I will enjoy watching you two do battle for my position. I sincerely hope you have the opportunity to do so, Justerius said, his hand on the door. When will you cast the spell? Early morning, Parsalian said, speaking heavily. It takes days of preparation. I have already spent long hours working on it. What about assistance? No one, not even an apprentice. I will be exhausted at the end. See to the disbanding of the conclave, will you, my friend? Certainly. And the kinder and the gully dwarf? Return the gully dwarf to her home with whatever small treasures you think she would like. As for the kinder... Farsalian smiled. You may send him wherever he would like to go, barring the moons, of course. As for treasure, I'm certain he will have acquired a sufficient amount before he leaves. Do a surreptitious check on his pouches, but if it's nothing important, let him keep what he finds. Justerius nodded. And Dalimar? Farsalian's face grew grim. The Dark Elf has undoubtedly left already. He would not want to keep his shalify waiting. Parsalian's fingers drummed on the desk, his brow furrowed in frustration. It is a strange charm Raceland possesses. You never met him, did you? No. I felt it myself, and I cannot understand. Perhaps I can, Justeria said. We've all been laughed at one time in our lives. We've all been jealous of a sibling. We have felt pain and suffering, just as he has suffered. And we've all longed, just once, for the power to crush our enemies. We pity him. We hate him. We fear him. All because there is a little of him in each of us. Though we admit it to ourselves only in the darkest part of the night. If we admit it to ourselves at all. That wretched cleric. Why did she have to get involved? Farsalian clasped his head in his shaking hands. Farewell, my friend, Justerius said gently. I will wait for you outside the laboratory, should you need help when it is all over. Thank you, Parsalian whispered without raising his head. Justarius limped from the study. Shutting the door too hastily, he caught the hem of his red robe and was forced to open it again to free himself. Before he closed the door again, he heard the sound of weeping. Chapter 15 Tasselhoff Burfoot was bored, and, as everyone knows, there is nothing more dangerous on Kren than a bored kinder. Tas and Bupu and Karaman had finished their meal, a very dull one. Karaman, lost in his thoughts, never said a word, but sat wrapped in bleak silence, while absent-mindedly devouring nearly everything in sight. Bupu did not even sit. Grabbing a bowl, she scooped out the contents with her hands, shoveling it into her mouth, with a rapidity learned long ago at gully dwarf dining tables. Putting that one down, she started on another and polished off a dish of gravy, 
the butter, the sugar, and cream, and finally half a dish of milk potatoes before Toss realized what she was doing. He just barely saved a salt cellar. Well, said Toss brightly, pushing back his empty plate. He tried to ignore the sight of Boo Poo grabbing it and licking it clean. I'm feeling much better. How about you, Caramon? Let's go explore. Explore. Caramon gave him such a horrified look that Toss was momentarily taken aback. Are you mad? I wouldn't set foot outside that door for all the wealth in Crin. Really? Toss asked eagerly. Why not? Oh, tell me, Caramon, what's out there? I don't know. The big man shuddered. But it's bound to be awful. I didn't see any guards. No, and there's a damn good reason for that, Caramon snarled. Guards aren't needed around here. I can see that look in your eye, Tasselhoff, and you just forget about it right now. Even if you could get out, Caramon gave the door to the room a haunted look, which I doubt you'd probably walk into the arms of a lich, or worse. Taz's eyes opened wide. He managed, however, to squelch an exclamation of delight. Looking down at his shoes, he muttered, Yeah, I guess you're right, Caramon. I'd forgotten where we were. I guess you did. Caramon said severely. Rubbing his aching shoulders, the big man groaned. I'm dead tired. I've got to get some sleep. You and what's-her-name there turn in, too, all right? Sure, Caramon, Tasselhoff said. Boopoo, belching contently, had already wrapped herself up in a rug before the fire, using the remainder of the bowl of milk potatoes for a pillow. Caramon eyed the kinder suspiciously. Toss assumed the most innocent look a kinder could possibly assume, the result of which was that Caramon shook his finger at him sternly. Promise me you won't leave this room, Tasselhoff Burfoot. Promise just like you'd promise, say, Tannis, if he were here. I promise, Toss said solemnly, just like I'd promise Tannis, if he were here. Good, Caramon sighed and collapsed onto a bed that creaked in protest the mattress sagging clear to the floor beneath the big man's weight. I guess someone will wake us up when they decide what they're going to do. Will you really go back in time, Caramon? Taz asked wistfully, sitting down on his own bed and pretending to unlace his boots. Yeah, sure. It's no big thing, Caramon muttered sleepily. Now get some sleep and... Thanks, Taz. You've been... You've been a big help. His words trailed off into a snore. Taz held perfectly still, waiting until Caramon's breathing became even and regular. That didn't take long, because the big man was emotionally and physically exhausted. Looking at Caramon's pale, careworn, and tear-streaked face, the kinder felt a moment's twinge of conscience. But kinder are accustomed to dealing with twinges of conscience, just as humans are accustomed to dealing with mosquito bites. He'll never know I've been gone, Toss said to himself as he sneaked across the floor past Caramon's bed. And I really didn't promise him I wouldn't go anywhere. I promised Tannis. And Tannis isn't here, so the promise doesn't count. Besides, I'm certain he would have wanted to explore if he hadn't been so tired. By the time Toss crept past Bupu's grubby little body, he had firmly convinced himself that Caramon had ordered him to look around before going to bed. He tried the door handle with misgivings, remembering Caramon's warning, but it opened easily. 
We are guests, then, not prisoners. Unless there was a lich standing guard outside. Taz poked his head around the doorframe. He looked up the hall, then down the hall. Nothing. Not a lich in sight. Sighing a bit in disappointment, Taz slipped out the door, then shut it softly behind him. The hallway ran to his left and to his right, vanishing around shadowy corners at either end. It was barren, cold, and empty. Other doors branched off from the hallway, all of them dark, all of them closed. There were no decorations of any kind, no tapestries hung on the walls, no carpets covered the stone floor. There weren't even any lights, no torches, no candles. Apparently the mages were supposed to provide their own if they did any wandering about after dark. A window at one end did allow the light of Solanari, the silver moon, to filter through its glass panes, but that was all. The rest of the hallway was completely dark. Too late, Taz thought, of sneaking back into the room for a candle. No, if Caramon woke up, he might not remember he had told the kinder to go exploring. I'll just pop into one of these other rooms and borrow a candle, Taz said to himself. Besides, that's a good way to meet people. Gliding down the hall quieter than the moonbeams that danced on the floor, Taz reached the next door. I won't knock, in case they're asleep, he reasoned, and carefully turned the doorknob. Ah, locked, he said, feeling immensely cheered. This would give him something to do for a few minutes at least. Pulling out his lock-picking tools, he held them up to the moonlight to select the proper size wire for this particular lock. I hope it's not magically locked, he muttered, the sudden thought making him grow cold. Magicians did that sometimes, he knew, a habit Kinder consider highly unethical. But maybe, in the Tower of High Sorcery, surrounded by mages, they wouldn't figure it would be worthwhile. I mean, anyone could just come along and blow the door down, Toss reasoned. Sure enough, the lock opened easily. His heart beating with excitement, Toss shoved the door open quietly and peered inside. The room was lit only by the faint glow of a dying fire. He listened. He couldn't hear anyone in it, no sounds of snoring or breathing, so he walked in, padding softly. His sharp eyes found the bed. It was empty. No one home. Then they won't mind if I borrow their candle, the kinder said to himself happily. Finding a candlestick, he lit the wick with a glowing coal. Then he gave himself up to the delights of examining the occupant's belongings, noticing as he did so that whoever resided in this room was not a very tidy person. About two hours and many rooms later, Taz was warily returning to his own room, his pouches bulging with the most fascinating items, all of which he was fully determined to return to their owners in the morning. He had picked most of them up off the tops of tables, where they had obviously been carelessly tossed. He found more than a few on the floor. He was certain the owners had lost them, and had even rescued several from the pockets of robes that were probably destined to be laundered, in which case these items would certainly have been misplaced. Looking down the hall, he received a severe shock, however, when he saw light streaming out from under their door. Caramon, he gulped. But at that moment, a hundred plausible excuses for being out of the room entered his brain. Or perhaps Caramon might not even have missed him yet. Maybe he was into the dwarf spirits. Considering this possibility, 
Toss tiptoed up to the closed door of their room and pressed his ear against it, listening. He heard voices. One he recognized immediately, Vupu's. The other. He frowned. It seemed familiar. Where had he heard it? Yes, I'm going to send you back to the high pulp, if that is where you want to go. But first you must tell me where the high pulp is. The voice sounded faintly exasperated. Apparently, this had been going on for some time. Tas put his eye to the keyhole. He could see Bupu, her hair clotted with milk potatoes, glaring suspiciously at a red-robed figure. Now Tas remembered where he'd heard the voice. That was the man at the conclave who kept questioning Parsalian. High bulp, Pupu repeated indignantly. Not high pulp. And high bulp is home. You send me home. Yes, of course. Now, where is home? Where high bulp is. And where is high pul- bulp? The red-robed mage asked in hopeless tones. Home, Pupu stated succinctly. I tell you that before. You got ears under that hood? Maybe you deaf. The gully dwarf disappeared from Tasha's sight for a moment, diving into her bag. Then she reappeared. She held another dead lizard, a leather thong wrapped around its tail. Me cure. You stick tail and ear and... Thank you, said the mage hastily, but my hearing is quite perfect, I assure you. Uh, what do you call your home? What is the name? The pit. Two T's. Some fancy name, huh? Bupu said proudly. That highbulb's idea. He ate book once. Learn lots. All right here. She patted her stomach. Taz clapped his hand over his mouth to keep from giggling. The red-robed mage was experiencing similar problems as well. Taz saw the man's shoulders shake beneath his red robes, and it took him a while to respond. When he did, his voice had a faint quiver. What, what do humans call the name of your, the, uh, pit? Ta saw Bupu scowl. Dumb name. Sound like someone spit up. Scroth. Scroth. The red-robed mage repeated, mystified. Scroth, he muttered. Then he snapped his fingers. I remember. The kinder said it in the conclave. Zach Saroth. Me say that once already. You sure you not want lizard cure for ears? You put tail... Heaving a sigh of relief, the red-robed mage held his hand out over Bupu's head, sprinkling what looked like dust down over her. Bupu sneezed violently. Tas heard the mage chant strange words. Me go home now? Bupu asked hopefully. The mage did not answer. He kept chanting. Him not nice, she muttered to herself, sneezing again as the dust slowly coated her hair and body. None of them nice. Not like my pretty man. She wiped her nose, snuffling. Him not laugh. Him call me little one. The dust on the gully dwarf began to glow a faint yellow. Taz gasped softly. The glow grew brighter and brighter, changing color, turning yellow-green, then green, then green-blue, then blue, and suddenly... Boo-poo, Toss whispered. The gully dwarf was gone. And I'm next, Toss realized in horror. Sure enough, the red-robed mage was limping across the room to the bed where the thoughtful kinder had made up a dummy of himself so that Caramon wouldn't be worried in case he woke up. Tasselhoff Burfoot, 
the red-robed mage called softly. He had passed beyond Tasa's sight. The kinder stood frozen, waiting for the mage to discover he was missing. Not that he was afraid of getting caught. He was used to getting caught, and was fairly certain he could talk his way out of it. But he was afraid of being sent home. They didn't really expect Karamon to go anywhere without him, did they? Karamon needs me, Toss whispered to himself in agony. They don't know what bad shape he's in. Why, what would happen if he didn't have me along to drag him out of bars? Tasselhoff, the red-robed mage's voice repeated. He must be nearing the bed. Hurriedly, Tass's hand dove into his pouch. Pulling out a fistful of junk, he hoped against hope he'd found something useful. Opening his small hand, he held it up to the candlelight. He had come up with a ring, a grape, and a lump of mustache wax. The wax and the grape were obviously out. He tossed them to the floor. Caramon! Toss heard the red-robed mage say sternly. He could hear Caramon grunt and groan, and picture the maid shaking him. Caramon, wake up! Where's the kinder? Trying to ignore what was happening in the room, Toss concentrated on examining the ring. It was probably magical. He picked it up in the third room to the left. Or was it the fourth? The magical rings usually worked just by being worn. Toss was an expert on the subject. He'd accidentally put on a magical ring once that had teleported him right into the heart of an evil wizard's palace. There was every possibility this might do the same. He had no idea what it did. Maybe there was some sort of clue on the ring. Taz turned it over, nearly dropping it in his haste. Thank the gods, Karamon was so hard to wake up. It was a plain ring, carved out of ivory, with two small pink stones. There were some runes traced on the inside. Toss recalled his magical glasses of seeing with a pang. But they were lost in Naraka, unless some draconian was wearing them. What? What? Caramon was babbling. Kinder, I told him, don't go out there. Liches. Damn. The red-robed mage was heading for the door. Please, Fizbon, the Kinder whispered. If you remember me at all, which I don't suppose you do, although you might... I was the one who kept finding your hat? Please, Fizbon, don't let them send Karamon off without me. Make this a ring of invisibility, or at least a ring of something that will keep them from catching me. Closing his eyes tightly so he wouldn't see anything horrible he might accidentally conjure up, Taj thrust the ring over his thumb. At the last moment, he opened his eyes so that he wouldn't miss seeing anything horrible he might conjure up. At first, nothing happened. He could hear the red-robed mage's halting footsteps coming nearer and nearer the door. Then, something was happening, although not quite what Toss expected. The hall was growing. There was a rushing sound in the kinder's ears as the wall swooped past him and the ceiling soared away from him. Open-mouthed, he watched as the door grew larger and larger until it was an immense size. What have I done? Toss wondered in alarm. Have I made the tower grow? Do you suppose anyone will notice? If they do, will they be very upset? The huge door opened with a gust of wind that nearly flattened the kinder. An enormous red-robed figure filled the doorway. A giant, Taz gasped. I've not only made the tower grow, I've made the mages grow too. Oh, dear. 
I guess they'll notice that. At least they will the first time they try to put on their shoes, and I'm sure they'll be upset. I would be if I was twenty feet tall and none of my clothes fit. But the red-robed mage didn't seem at all perturbed about suddenly shooting up in height, much to Taz's astonishment. He just peered up and down the hall, yelling, "Tasselhoff Burfoot!" He even looked right at where Tass was standing, and didn't see him. "Oh, thank you, Fizbon," the kinder squeaked. Then he coughed. His voice certainly did sound funny. Experimentally, he said, "Fizbon," again, again. He squeaked. At that moment, the red-robed mage glanced down. "Aha! And whose room have you escaped from, my little friend?" the mage said. As Tasselhoff watched in awe, a giant hand reached down. It was reaching down for him. The fingers got nearer and nearer. Taz was so startled he couldn't run or do anything except wait for that gigantic hand to grab him. Then it would be all over. They'd send him home instantly if they didn't inflict a worse punishment on him for enlarging their tower when he wasn't at all certain they had wanted it enlarged. The hand hovered over him and then picked him up by his tail. My tail, Taz thought wildly, squirming in midair as the hand lifted him off the floor. I haven't got a tail, but I must. The hands got hold of me by something. Twisting his head around, Tass saw that indeed he did have a tail—not only a tail, but four pink feet, four—and instead of bright blue leggings, he was wearing white fur. Now then, boomed a stern voice right in one of his ears. Answer me, little rodent. Who's familiar are you? Chapter Sixteen. Familiar. Tasselhoff clutched at the word. Familiar. Talks with Raislin came back to his fevered mind. Some magi have animals that are bound to do their bidding. Raislin had told him once. These animals, or familiars as they are called, can act as an extension of a mage's own senses. They can go places he cannot, see things he is unable to see. Hear conversations he has not been invited to share. At the time, Tasselhoff had thought it a wonderful idea, although he recalled Raislin had not been impressed. He seemed to consider it a weakness to be so heavily dependent upon another living being. Well, answer me," the red-robed mage demanded, shaking Tasselhoff by the tail. Blood rushed to the kinder's head, making him dizzy. Plus, being held by the tail was quite painful. To say nothing of the indignity, all he could do for a moment was to give thanks that Flint couldn't see him. I suppose he thought bleakly that familiars can talk. I hope they speak common, not something strange like mouse, for example. I'm, I uh, belong to. What was a good name for a mage? Fakus. Ta squeaked, remembering hearing Raislin use this name in connection with a fellow student long ago. Ah, the red-robed mage said with a frown. I might have known. Were you out upon some errand for your master, or simply roaming around loose? Fortunately for Taz, the mage changed his hold upon the kinder, releasing his tail to grasp him firmly in his hand. The kinder's front paws rested quivering on the red-robed mage's thumb. His now beady, bright red eyes stared into the mage's cool, dark ones. What shall I answer? 
Taz wondered frantically. Neither choice sounded very good. It, it's my night off, Taz said, in what he hoped was an indignant tone of squeak. <laughs> the maid sniffed. You've been around that lazy fakus too long, that's for certain. I'll have a talk with that young man in the morning. As for you, no, you needn't start squirming. Have you forgotten that Sudoris familiar prowls the halls at night? You could have been Marigold's dessert. Come along with me. After I'm finished with this evening's business, I'll return you to your master. Taz, who had just been ready to sink his sharp little teeth into the mage's thumb, suddenly thought better of the idea. Finished with the evening's business. Of course, that had to be Caramon. This was better than being invisible. He would just go along for the ride. The kinder hung his head in what he imagined was a mousy expression of meekness and contrition. It seemed to satisfy the red-robed mage, for he smiled in a preoccupied manner and began to search the pockets of his robe for something. What is it, Justarius? There was Caramon, looking befuddled and still half asleep. He peered vaguely up and down the hallway. You find Toss? The kinder? No. The mage smiled again this time rather ruefully. It may be a while before we find him, I'm afraid, Kinder being very adept at hiding. You won't hurt him, Caramon asked anxiously. So anxiously, Toss felt sorry for the big man and longed to reassure him. No, of course not, Justarius replied soothingly, still searching through his robes. Though, he added as an afterthought, he might inadvertently hurt himself. There are objects lying around here it wouldn't be advisable to play with. Well, now, are you ready? I really don't want to go until Taz is back, and I know he's all right, Caramon said stubbornly. I'm afraid you haven't any choice, the maid said, and Taz heard the man's voice grow cool. Your brother travels in the morning. You must be prepared to go then as well. It takes hours for a Parsalian to memorize and cast this complex spell. Already he has started. I have stayed too long searching for the kinder, in fact. We are late. Come along. Wait, my things, Caramon said pathetically. My sword. You need not worry about any of that, Justarius answered. Apparently finding what he had been searching for, he drew a silken bag out of the pocket of his robes. You may not go back in time with any weapon or any device from this time period. Part of the spell will see to it that you are suitably dressed for the period you journey within. Caramon looked down at his body, bewildered. You mean, I'll have to change clothes? I won't have a sword? What? And you're sending this man back in time by himself? Toss thought indignantly. He'll last five minutes. Five minutes, if that long. No, by all the gods, I'm... Just exactly what the kinder was going to do was lost as he suddenly found himself popped headfirst into the silken bag. Everything went inky black. He tumbled down to the bottom of the bag, feet over tail, landing on his head. From somewhere inside of him came a horrifying fear of being on his back in a vulnerable position. Frantically, he fought to right himself, scrabbling wildly at the slick sides of the bag with his clawed feet. Finally, he was right side up and the terrible feeling subsided. So that's what it's like to be panic-stricken, Tosh thought with a sigh. I don't think much of it, that's certain. And I'm very glad Kender don't get that way, as a general rule, 
Now what? Forcing himself to calm down and his little heart to stop racing, Taj crouched in the bottom of the silken bag and tried to think what to do next. He appeared to have lost track of what was going on in his wild scrambling, for, by listening, he could hear two pairs of footsteps walking down a stone hall, Caramon's heavy, booted feet and the mage's shuffling tread. He also experienced a slight swaying motion, and he could hear the soft sounds of cloth rubbing against cloth. It suddenly occurred to him that the red-robed mage had undoubtedly suspended the sack he was in from his belt. What am I supposed to do back there? How am I supposed to get back here afterwards? That was Caramon's voice, muffled a bit by the cloth bag, but still fairly clear. All that will be explained to you. The mage's voice sounded overly patient. I wonder, are you having doubts, second thoughts perhaps? If so, you should tell us now. No. Caramon's voice sounded firm, firmer than it had in a long time. No. I'm not having doubts. I'll go. I'll take Lady Crisania back. It's my fault she's hurt, no matter what that old man says. I'll see that she gets the help she needs, and I'll take care of this Fistandanalus for you. Mmm, mmm. Tass heard that mmm, though he doubted Caramon could. The big man was rambling on about what he would do to Fistandanalus when he caught up with him. But Tass felt chilled. As he had when Parsalian gave Caramon that strange, sad look in the hall, the Kinder, forgetting where he was, squeaked in frustration. "Shh," Justerius murmured absently, patting the bag with his hand. "This is only for a short while. Then you'll be back in your cage eating corn." "Huh?" Caramon said. Tos could almost see the big man's startled look. The Kinder gnashed his small teeth. The word "cage." Called up a dreadful picture in his mind, and a truly alarming thought occurred to him: What if I can't get back to being myself? Oh, not you," the maid said hastily. "I was talking to my little furry friend here. He's getting restless. If we weren't late, I'd take him back right now." Toss froze. There, he seems to have settled down. Now, what were you saying? Toss didn't pay any more attention. Miserably, he clung to the bag with his small feet. As it swayed back and forth, bumping gently against the mage's thigh as he limped along, surely the spell could be reversed by simply taking off the ring. Taz's fingers itched to try it and see. The last magic ring he put on, he hadn't been able to get off. What if this was the same? Was he doomed to a life of white fur and pink feet forever? At the thought, Taz wrapped one foot around the ring that was still stuck to a toe. Or whatever, and almost pulled it off just to make sure. But the thought of suddenly bursting out of a silk bag, a full-grown kinder, and landing at the mage's feet came to his mind. He forced his quivering little paw to stop. No, at least this way he was being taken to wherever Caramon was being taken. If nothing else, maybe he could go back with him in mouse shape. There might be worse things. How was he going to get out of the bag? The Kinder's heart sank to his hind feet. Of course, getting out was easy if he turned back into himself. Only then they'd catch him and send him home. But if he stayed a mouse, he'd end up eating corn with Fagus. The Kinder groaned and hunkered down, his nose between his paws. This was by far the worst predicament he'd ever been in in his entire life.
even counting the time the two wizards caught him running off with their woolly mammoth. On top of it, he was beginning to feel queasy, what with the swaying motion of the bag being cooped up, the funny smell inside the bag, and the bumping around and all. The whole mistake lay in saying a prayer to Fizbon, the kinder told himself gloomily. He may be paladin in reality, but I bet somewhere that wacky old mage is getting a real chuckle out of this. Thinking about Fizbon and how much he missed the crazy old mage wasn't making Taz feel any better. So he put the thought out of his mind and tried once more to concentrate on his surroundings, hoping to figure a way out. He stared into the silky darkness, and suddenly, You idiot, he told himself excitedly. You lame-brained doorknob of a kinder, as Flint would say. Or lame-brained mouse, because I'm not a kinder anymore. I'm a mouse, and I have teeth. Hurriedly, Toss took an experimental nibble. At first, he couldn't get a grip on the slick fabric, and he despaired once more. Try the seam, fool, he scolded himself severely, and sank his teeth into the thread that held the fabric together. It gave way almost instantly as his sharp little teeth sheared right through. Tosh quickly nibbled away several more stitches, and soon he could see something red, the mage's red robes. He caught a whiff of fresh air. What had that man been keeping in here? And was so elated, he quickly started to chew through some more. Then he stopped. If he enlarged the hole any more, he'd fall out, and he wasn't ready to, at least not yet. Not until they got to wherever it was they were going. Apparently, that wasn't far off. It occurred to Toss that they had been climbing a series of stairs for some time now. He could hear Caramon wheezing from the unaccustomed exercise, and even the red-robed mage appeared a bit winded. Why can't you just magic us up to this laboratory place? Caramon grumbled, panting. No, Justerius answered softly, his voice tinged with awe. I can feel the very air tingle and crackle with the power Parsalian extends to perform this spell. I would have no minor spell of mine disturb the forces that are at work here this night. Taz shivered at this beneath his fur, and he thought Caramon might have done the same, for he heard the big man clear his throat nervously, and then continued to climb in silence. Suddenly they came to a halt. Are we here? Caramon asked, trying to keep his voice steady. Yes, came the whispered answer. Taz strained to hear. I will take you up these last few stairs. Then, when we come to the door at the top, I will open it very softly and allow you to enter. Speak no word. Say nothing that might disturb Parsalian in his concentration. This spell takes days of preparation. You mean he knew days ago he was going to be doing this? Kermon interrupted harshly. Hush! Justerius ordered, and his voice was tinged with anger. Of course, he knew this was a possibility. He had to be prepared. It was well he did so, for we had no idea your brother intended to move this fast. Toss heard the man draw a deep breath. When he spoke again, it was in calmer tones. Now, I repeat, when we climb these last few stairs, speak no word. Is that understood? Yes. Caramon sounded subdued. Do exactly as Parsalian commands you to do. Ask no questions. Just obey. Can you do that? Yes. Caramon sounded more subdued still. Toss heard a small tremor in the big man's reply. He's scared, Toss realized. 
poor Karamad. Why are they doing this to him? I don't understand. There's more going on here than meets the eye. Well, that makes it final. I don't care if I do break Parsalian's concentration. I'll just have to risk it. Somehow, some way, I'm going to go with Karamad. He needs me. Besides, the Kinder sighed, to travel back in time? How wonderful! Very well. Justarius hesitated, and Tos could feel his body grow tense and rigid. I will say my farewells here, Karamon. May the gods go with you. What you are doing is dangerous for us all. You cannot begin to comprehend the danger. This last was spoken so softly, only Tos heard it, and the Kinder's ears twitched in alarm. Then the red-robed mage sighed. I wish I could say I thought your brother was worth it. He is, Karamon said firmly. You will see. I pray, Gilene, you are right. Now, are you ready? Yes. Taz heard a rustling sound, as if the hooded mage nodded his head. Then they began to move again, climbing the stairs slowly. The kinder peered out of the hole in the bottom of the sack, watching the shadowy steps slide by underneath him. He would have seconds only, he knew. The stairs came to an end. He could see a broad stone landing beneath him. This is it, he told himself with a gulp. He could hear the rustling sound again and feel the mage's body move. A door creaked. Quickly, Taz's sharp teeth sliced through the remaining threads that held the seam together. He heard Karamon's slow steps entering the door. He heard the door starting to close. The seam gave way. Toss fell out of the sack. He had a passing moment to wonder if mice always landed on their feet, like cats. He had once dropped a cat off the roof of his house to see if that old saying was true. It was. And then he hit the stone floor running. The door was shut. The red-robed mage had turned away. Without stopping to look around, the kinder darted swiftly and silently across the floor. Flattening his small body, he wriggled through a crack between the door and the floor and dove beneath a bookcase that was standing near the wall. Taz paused to catch his breath and listen. What if Justarius discovered him missing? Would he come back and look for him? Stop this, Taz told himself sternly. He won't know where I fell out, and he probably wouldn't come back here anyway. Might disturb the spell. After a few moments, the kinder's tiny heart slowed down its pace so that he could hear over the blood pounding in his ears. Unfortunately, his ears told him very little. He could hear a soft murmuring, as if someone were rehearsing lines for a street play. He could hear Karamon try to catch his breath from the long climb, and still keep his breathing muffled, so as not to disturb the mage. The big man's leather boots creaked as he shifted nervously from one foot to the other. But that was all.